If you will turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 20 today. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And the title of this sermon is Suffered Under Under Pontius Pilate. Mark 15, 1 through 20. Well, throughout history, there are many famous and infamous names. Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Saddam Hussein, Pontius Pilate. And it's to this last one that we'll turn today. Uh, Pontius Pilate was a Roman procurator of Judea from A.D. 26 to A.D. 37. So let's just put this into perspective. When Rome conquered a land, they would appoint governors over those lands. So Pilate is one of those governors. He's not even a Roman emperor. And Judea wasn't a great post. In fact, it was the worst. So the fact that Pilate was there for 11 years. Most governors were there for a couple of years and then got moved up. So the fact that he was there for 11 years tells us something about him. He never moved up the ladder. He was low man on the totem pole in the Roman political system. And yet, we all know his name. He's infamous in history. His name is included in the Apostles' Creed. Today's text tells us why. Why do we know the name of a hack Roman governor who never made it out of Judea? Let's dive into the text. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, At the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. 
And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. If you remember last week, we saw Jesus before the Sanhedrin in a trial where he was condemned to death. So you may be saying, then what's this? He seems to be in another trial. What's going on here? Well, it's important to know that the Jewish authorities no longer had the power of the sword. In John's gospel account of this exact moment, we read this. We read a little bit of it earlier. John 18, verses 31 and 32. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the Sanhedrin, the Jewish legal ruling body had no legal power to kill Jesus. They have to have Rome do it if it's going to be done. And verse 32 that we just read in John lets us know uh, that this also was to fulfill what Jesus had previously spoken. What is it that Jesus had previously spoken? Uh, Remember in Mark chapter 10, verse 33, several weeks ago, Jesus said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to who? The Gentiles. But it's even more than that. Even the fact that the Jews didn't have the power here is part of prophecy. The prophecy of Jacob all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Genesis 49, verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but this text in Genesis was widely understood to mean that when the Jewish people were not in the driver's seat of power or or in the law, that would mean that the Messiah, who God had promised to send, had actually come. The Jews didn't have authority over Jesus, so they had to go to Rome. One other interesting tidbit here from the book of John. John 18, verses 28 through 30 says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Isn't that fascinating, ironic, and even disgusting? 
The Jewish religious authorities won't go into a Roman governor's headquarters. Why? So that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. They're, they're trying to keep themselves religiously clean while killing the Son of God. They're trying to be clean to eat the Passover, which points to the lamb that they're having killed at the moment. We have to be aware of this in our own lives. Is there anywhere in your life that you look religious on the outside, all while committing the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? That's what's happening here. Further, Look at Pilate's question here in the book of John. He says, what accusation do you bring against this man? How do they answer? Verse 30, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What a non-answer, huh? Do you remember what the charge was from the late night court session last week? Blasphemy. Right? So when Pilate asked that question, what accusation did you bring against Jesus? They should have said blasphemy. But they didn't. Why? Because Pilate would have just laughed and said, guys, this is an intramural dispute inside baseball. Rome doesn't give a rip about your theological arguments. Don't bring blasphemy to me. It'd be like me calling the police and saying, hey, I need to report a crime. John Doe doesn't believe in the Trinity. <laughs> they tell me to hit the road. So what do the Jews do? Back in our text, in Mark, they make it political. They tell Pilate that this guy, Jesus, is a rival king king of the Jews. Verse 2, and Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. You have said so. A stronger rendering of this phrase would be, it is as you say. It's two Greek words, su, you, and leges, said. Are you the king of the Jews? You said it. This is a strong affirmation. It's a good confession. That's what Paul calls it in 1 Timothy 6, verse 13, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pilate, Pontius Pilate made the good confession. This is a good confession. Back in Mark 15, verse 3, it says, And the chief priest accused him, Jesus, of many things. What is it exactly that the chief priests are accusing him of? Thankfully, Luke fills, it, fills this in for us. Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So, how will he respond? 
Verses 4 and 5. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. We talked about this last week, but again, Jesus is the lamb from Isaiah 53 that was prophesied almost 700 years before this. Isaiah 53, verse 7, says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Think about this for a minute. Remember Adam in the garden, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3? He was guilty. And what was his response? Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The man, Adam, said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Guilty responds by trying to excuse himself. And yet here, Jesus, the second and better Adam, is innocent. Makes no defense at all. Pilate is amazed. We'll talk more about this later, but I want you to understand something loud and clear here. Being amazed by Jesus doesn't necessarily equal saving faith. We'll come back to that later. Verses 6 through 9. It says, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? We learn in the book of John that just before this moment, Pilate had taken Jesus outside and said to the crowd, I find no guilt in him. Pilate is between a rock and a hard place here. Let me kind of back up and give you some relevant history. Early on in Pilate's career, he caused quite the stink with the Jews. Uh, Kent Hughes tells us this. He, meaning Pilate, was an inept and heavy-handed administrator. He insulted the Jews by having his soldiers bring flags bearing images of Caesar into Jerusalem. This is like his first week on the job, almost causing open rebellion. Another time, he raided the sacred Korban treasury of the temple a treasure to be used only for service to God, he used that to pay for for building an aqueduct to bring him water. Those who objected were beaten by plainclothes soldiers. Again, he provoked the Jews over an alleged idolatry incident. So each time that something like this happened, Rome wasn't happy because Pilate was essentially there stirring up trouble which Rome didn't want. They liked things peaceful. So in this instance, Pilate 
knows that Jesus is innocent. He says, I find no guilt in him. But he doesn't want to cause problems or trouble with the Jewish leaders. But there's an escape hatch. He can ship the decision over to the people, right? They were the ones, a couple days earlier, cheering this Jesus on as he came into town on a donkey. This is a winning strategy. Pilate is a shrewd politician. Look at verse 10. It says, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Again, he knew that Jesus wasn't guilty. These scumbags were envious of Jesus and of his popularity. He knew exactly what it was that they were trying to do. They were trying to use him to do their dirty work. So, he tries the escape hatch. People, the crowd, do you want me to release for you? king of the Jews? Verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Isn't that wild? A stirred up crowd isn't always the greatest thing. And in my opinion, it's a bit scary how easy it seems to get this crowd stirred up. I want to stop here and just point out something that we brought up at Easter. Uh, We actually walked through this exact passage on Easter in Matthew's version of the story. I want to stop here and just point out something. Barabbas' name. It's not insignificant. It's not incidental to the story. Bar means son of. Son of. Abba means father. Credible historians tell us that Barabbas was actually his last name. And get this. His first name was Jesus. (laughs) If you think God's not sovereign over all things, I don't know what to tell you. The fact that this guy with this name is in prison when Jesus comes before Pilate? That's amazing. God is trying to teach us something here. The options for release are Jesus, son of the father, who was a rebel in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the other option for release is Jesus, son of the father, who was guiltless. Ponder that. Then comes the most important question. Look with me at verse 12. Verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? That's a question that that each and every one of us should answer. We must answer. What? shall we do with the king of the Jews? What will you do with him? You can't stay on the fence. You can't stay in the middle of the road. 
This is where the book of Mark, the entire time, has been driving us. Mark has answered this question, who is Jesus, over and over and over and over and over again. Now, what will you do with him? I want us to notice something here. Pilate, this entire time, is pretty passive. He's he's middle of the road. He knows that Jesus is innocent, right? But his chief value in life is pleasing people. We see in verse 15 that he wishes to satisfy the crowd. He means well. He's really just a nice guy. Yet, he's infamous because Jesus died under his authority, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Here's what I want us to see. Compromise isn't always horrific. Compromise isn't always horrific. We learn in one of the other Gospels that Pilate thinks he can merely just wash his hands of Jesus' death. Pilate isn't the one who pulled the trigger, so to speak. But in many ways, he is. His passiveness and his unwillingness to take a stand, his cowardice, directly led to Jesus' crucifixion. He's a weak leader. He's spineless. He wants to be middle of the road. Friends, when it comes to Jesus, you can't be middle of the road. What will you do with the king of the Jews? You can either submit to him as Lord, turning from your sin and trusting him with your whole life, or you can reject him and side with the crowds yelling, crucify him. There's no in-between. Pilate was amazed at Jesus. He was fascinated. But as Kevin DeYoung once so powerfully stated, fascination is not the same thing as faith. Fascination is not the same thing as faith. It's time to get off the fence. Decide today what you'll do with the king of the Jews. Now, I want to go back to verse 15 and to Barabbas once more to show us just how glorious this is. Verse 15 again. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. Remember the two parties here. Jesus, son of the father, who's guilty as sin. And Jesus, son of the father, who's absolutely innocent. The guilty guy here gets released. He's free. The innocent guy gets crucified. Jesus became Barabbas' substitute. In what world is that fair? It's not fair at all. But tune in here. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you've, if you've chosen a side, if you've repented and believed in Jesus, you're Barabbas. You are guilty of sin. And yet you get to go free. While Jesus goes to the death that you deserve. This is the great exchange of the gospel. That Jesus is your substitute. It's not fair. But it's good news for ruined sinners like you and like me. Aren't you grateful for this truth today? So let's see what they do with Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. Anyone know why thorns exist on the earth? The first Adam sin in the garden, right? Check this out. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. So this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. This is God's response to them. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Do you see this? The first Adam's curse is being placed on the second Adam's head as a crown. They clothe him in purple, and they mock him as a king. It doesn't stop there, though. Look at our last verses, 18 through 20. And they begin to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. This is outright mockery kneeling down in homage to him. They're pretending to worship him while putting him to death. And again, here we have a decision to make. There's no middle of the road. Either you worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, or you mock him. You and me are guilty before the throne of God for every sin that we've committed. Jesus is sinless and innocent. He went to the cross as a substitute for sinners. The only proper response to that is genuine worship. Either you worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, or you mock him. What will you do with the king of the Jews? That's a question for each and every one of us this morning. Let's pray.